For note-taking, two main points from this passage this evening. First of all, the name, and secondly, the appearance. The name and the appearance. Now, there is much more that happens here, and uh, it's far too much to to include in one sermon, so uh, we'll be back here at the Oaks of Mamre next Lord's Day evening, the Lord willing as well, um, for... As uh, if you know the passage, um, this would certainly be controversial in our day and age. It is these kinds of passages of Scripture that follow from verse 16 on through chapter 19 uh, that have much to say about the world and the culture in which we live and the reminder to us of God's judgment upon that culture and lifestyle as well. But that's for next Lord's Day. This evening, first of all, we we need to look at, first of all, the name, these oaks that are called the Oaks of Mamre. The name comes from a man who is actually Abraham's ally. So if we take our Bibles and back up a few chapters to uh, chapter 14. We have the events there recorded of the fact that uh, Lot had gone to live near Sodom and that these various kings had come and raided Sodom being one of the places, had carried off the people of Sodom and Lot and his family included in that. We read then starting at verse 13 the following. The one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Anar. These were allies of Abram. So the oaks of Mamre is after a man. Mamre is a guy's name. And, and he has two brothers that are indicated here. They're Amorites, right? He, Abram, the Hebrew. See, we're told that because he's the Hebrew. And these other guys are Amorites to draw that distinction between the two. But that this man, Mamre, is, joins with Abraham in going after those kings who had captured and they come back victorious and then we have the the whole scene of uh, Melchizedek coming out and Abraham refusing to take his part, uh, his share, instead he gives it that tenth over to Melchizedek. But the other shares go on to go to those three men as well. So it's a man. Abraham is near these oaks that belong to this man, Mamre, who is an Amorite, who is an ally, we might even say somewhat a friend of Abraham. They're not his. This is, the the oaks of Mamre are, the Mamre is not some statement about the oaks other than the fact that they are the possession of this man. Now some of your versions 
use a different term. In fact, uh, the ESV has, has a little footnote where it says the oaks, and if you look down below, it says the terebinths. The terebinth and the oak in Hebrew, the word is very similar. There's very little distinction between the word in Hebrew. In fact, one could say it means the same thing. So depending on the context, it means one thing or the other thing. Both signify trees. A terebinth is a type of tree. It is a little shorter tree than what we would consider to be an oak. It is a tree from which you get cashews. So if you enjoy cashews, you'd want to be near a terebinth. On the other hand, what's interesting is the terebinth tree also produces turpentine. So from the same tree, you get turpentine and you get cashews. I hope that's not telling me what cashews do to me, okay, and to my system. But it's interesting, right, because an oak also gives forth a nut, an acorn. And it also produces that tannic acid that, that so easily stains and discolors. So you have this one word designating one of these two types of trees. Okay? The ESV has chosen to, to interpret it as an oak. The reason behind that is where this location is, there are still oak trees growing. So they, they, they put those two things together. So just an explanation of the footnote, so you have an understanding of that. Now, if you're still in Genesis 14, go back with me one more chapter, to chapter 13. Because we know where this location is, these oaks of Mamre. Chapter 13, go down to verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now just think of everything we're being told here, right? Abraham is coming. He is, he, this is when they separate, he and Lot. Lot goes towards the, the plain of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He heads off in that direction. Abraham separates from him, comes to this place, Hebron, and in particular to these oaks that are owned by Mamre the Amorite. There, Abraham pitches his tent, and there he builds an altar. This becomes a place of worship. For Abraham, this becomes his residence, this becomes his, his place, his dwelling spot, and it becomes his place of worship as well, a significant spot then. But there is also the symbolism, right? Oaks, the oaks of memory. What, what does an oak symbolize? Well, certainly we would say, well, oaks are pretty strong. They endure some pretty harsh weather and pretty harsh winds. 
They grow tall. There's great longevity. Oak is a, is a hardwood, power, strength. Just as an aside, near Hebron, okay, you, you can Google this. Just Google the oak near Hebron, okay? And, and you will draw up a picture from today, present day today, of this old, big, old, gnarly oak that has survived who knows how many wars in the course of its lifetime, it's estimated to be 850 years old. So just think, that, the, that thing was a seedling back in 1200 A.D. Think of what it's lived through. Think of what it has survived. Over those long, many years. Now, that's not one of the oaks with Abraham, right? But it, it's a reminder, okay, of, of that steadfastness, of that endurance, even through hardship and difficulty. So there is something symbolic about the fact that he pitches his tent by the oaks of Mamre. In terms of the symbolism of the tree itself. But there's something else going on here, right? Because he's not pitching his tent on his own land. But it's in light of the promise of God. Once again, go back with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Listen to these promises of God. He calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, brings him to Canaan, and then the Lord says, 12 verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. What land? This land of Canaan. By the time we get to 18 verse 1, it is still not his land. It is still the oaks of Mamre. It's not the oaks of Abraham. It belongs to a Canaanite. It belongs to this Amorite. Abraham is but a sojourner in the land. Yet God has promised that his descendants will own that land. Go with me to chapter 13 once again. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham... After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Promised, but he doesn't possess any of it. Now go back to chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. It's still not his. Do you know that 
Yeah, let me ask you a question. How much of the land of Canaan did Abraham own when he died? How much was under his possession? How much did Abraham control? How much of that land could Abraham say, this is my land? He owns one cave. It's called the Cave of Machpelah. It's the place that he purchases from some Hittite as a burial place for his wife, Sarah. It's also going to be his burial site, his tomb. It's going to be the tomb of Isaac and of Rebekah. It's going to be the tomb of Jacob and of Leah. It's going to be the family burial site. It's the only piece of land that Abraham owns when he dies. Now, just as an aside, it's rather interesting. Guess where the cave of Machpelah is? Know how it's described for us? Just to the east of the Oaks of Mamre. Where, where he sits, it's as if he, he sees this cave. And where he lives, he's saying, I want to be able to see that place. And I, and I don't think it's, it's this sentimental, okay? I, I want to see where my wife Sarah is. Now, I think it's he wants to look upon the promise of God. Because you see, he only has it in part in reality, but no, he has it in full. By faith, Abraham. See, that's part of the lesson we have here, just in 18 verse 1. Just in, in the mention of these oaks, Abraham lived his whole life with the promise of God, believing the promise of God, believing that that land would indeed be his. And it was, wasn't it? Right? It was. Oh, not that physical land. But Canaan was his, the land flowing with milk and honey. Glory is his. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to tell us that. Right? Faith. Faith is believing that which you can't see with your eyes. He looks upon that cave of Machpelah and he believes, he believes in God's promise to him. It's a beautiful testament, beautiful testament of the faith of Abraham, but also of the promise of God that this would be given. So we come secondly then to the appearance, right? Now that we understand a little bit about the oaks, the Lord appeared to him. Yahweh. The covenant terminology used of God. His personal name. Yahweh appears to him by the oaks of Mamre. 
for whatever else we say in this passage, for whatever else we go, whatever questions we have about how this transpired and how it took place and what that scene looked like, we have to be guided by those first words. While he's by these oaks that belong to Mamre, which is located near Hebron, a piece of land he does not own, the Lord appeared to him. Now how? Well, as we read the account, he appears to Abraham in a group. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. He receives three visitors. Now, some go off on a big tangent here. And they say, well, if the Lord appeared and there's three visitors, that must be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that'd be a nice way to try to force Scripture to teach something. The problem is, as we read the text, that isn't going to work. Because as we continue to read the text, what do we find out about two of those visitors? Two of those who appear as men are angels. They're going to be sent off to go to Lot at Sodom to warn Lot. Certainly not a reference to the Son and to the Spirit, but to angels. It's, it's very pointed in Scripture. So he receives three, two of which appear as men we know are angels. Even as we remember from Hebrews, right, that oftentimes we can entertain angels unaware of their presence amongst us. So what does that mean? It means the third then, the third of those visitors, the other one, who is not designated as an angel, is the one then who is the Lord. And how does he appear? He appears as a man. And he appears as an ordinary man. There's no halo over him. There's no glow around him. Right? He's not larger than life. He's not levitating over the ground. He appears just as a man. As an ordinary visitor. As one of three men. But notice as we read on what happens. Abraham lifts up his eyes and looks. Behold, three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. Is he addressing all three? No, because the, the designation of O Lord, singular, wouldn't work. So Abraham, as he comes forward, as he meets these men, bows before the one who is not the angel. But notice what he does. Oh Lord, do you notice anything different there? Look, look at the term, even in our ESV, that is used for Lord there as compared to verse 1. What's the difference? Yahweh, verse 1, appears to Abraham. 
Does Abraham understand it is Yahweh? No. What Abraham recognizes is that this one, not the other two, but that this one has some sort of an authority. That's why he uses the common ordinary term Lord, which means master, owner. Meaning he recognizes something of the authority that this one possesses and he recognizes it is an authority far greater than his own and it is an authority that he must bow himself to. Even though he doesn't fully yet understand the identity of who it is that has come to visit him this day at the Oaks of Mamre. But it is the one that he acknowledges. It is the one that he bows to. So the Lord comes as one of these three visitors as a man. Abraham bows to him. And then Abraham displays a great amount of hospitality. I just, I just love the verse because it's so much, right? It, it's so guy-like, right? He runs into the tent. Quick! 21 quarts of fine flour. Come on, Sarah, get to it. I got visitors out here. I've invited them for dinner. But to Abraham's credit, while she's busy with the fine flour, which you kind of wonder... That seems like an awful lot of bread, right? That just seems like an enormous amount of bread to feed three visitors. It is. It is. But you see, Abraham recognizes he is not to be stingy here. He is not to hold back. So what does Abraham do? Abraham runs to the flock and finds a fatted calf. He finds one just right. Says to a young man, you prepare that. He's off getting curds and milk. And notice in this hospitality, he brings this, what, what must have been an enormous meal for three men, sets it before them. And he's off standing by the side just watching. He's not eating. He's not participating. He's just watching. See, can't you see Abraham's wheels probably just to churning? Who are these guys? What is up? What's happening here? Man, I recognize that there's great authority here. But I just can't quite put my finger on it. See, the Lord has talked to Abraham many times. But the Lord has never appeared to Abraham as a man. What's even more interesting about this whole scenario is when we come to the end of the story, okay, in chapter 19, we come across this verse that says, verse 29 of chapter 19, so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. 
and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. What's interesting is that we've changed names again. Now it's Elohim. A reminder of the plural verbs that are associated with the singular action, the singular being, Elohim. God in three, in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's pretty mystifying in some ways. What, what, a, what an event. Under the shade of these oaks of memory. Not even his own land. Not even his own territory. God. Yahweh comes as a man to meet with Abraham, to have a meal that Abraham supplies. And the questions just keep coming in our minds, and yet the Lord is saying, okay, that's not the important thing here. And so the Lord comes with this promise. It's a renewed promise. Sarah is going to have a son. Now, if you go back with me, that chapter 12, verse 7, remember, your offspring. Abraham has no offspring by 12, 7. Although he's 75 years old plus, he has no offspring. And yet the Lord says, you're going to have offspring. Or we can go to uh, chapter 15, 5 and 6. He, he invites Abraham, go out. It's a nice, clear night. And he says, look at the stars, Abraham. That's how many your descendants are going to be. And Abraham's like, I don't have a single kid. Yet God promises him. Right? It's kind of interesting. God promises land and he's got none. God promises him children and he has none. And then note, if you go with me to chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And Abraham fell down on his face and laughed. Come on, really? I'm an old man. Sarah's old. How are we going to have a child? God comes. He doesn't dismiss Abraham, doesn't toss him aside. He comes to the oaks of Mamre. He appears to him, not just speaks to him, not just calls to him. But he comes to him. Abraham, Sarah is going to have a son. Not only does he renew him, renew that, it comes as a, as a reminder, right? Because what has happened in between all of this is that Genesis chapter 16, where they tried to take matters into their own hands, quite literally. And they, they try to make 
Hagar, the one who's going to be the replacement wife. And, and their thinking is, well, maybe, maybe what we have to do is, maybe it's not really Sagar, Her- Sarah, it's Hagar. And so somehow or another we'll figure Hagar is carrying the child as the replacement for Sarah being unable to have a child. And it all ends in a miserable mess. Right? The whole thing just ends up in a miserable situation. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Sarah is going to have a son next year, about this same time. See, all these other promises have kind of been out there. God, God has never said when. But here at the Oaks of Mamre now, here, now it becomes she shall have a child next year. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. They see, in all of this, we have the benefit of this word that keeps appearing. Lord, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. But that's Moses recording it, Right? That's Moses under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit recording that which the Holy Spirit is telling him and is leading him to write. So we know that, but guess who doesn't know it yet? Abraham. And yet, Abraham by faith believed God. He believes the promises of God. And even as Abraham had laughed last time, when he first heard it, now Sarah, when she first hears it, laughs as well. And we start to get a little inkling, don't we? In the response... Is anything too hard for Yahweh? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? I will come. I will come next year. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? Now, we don't have a verse that says, and Abraham's lights went off. And the bells and whistles sounded, and he went, Whoa, I know who my visitor is. But I think as we read through the rest of this chapter, it's going to become pretty obvious that something went off in Abraham's mind. Something clicked. God's revelation of himself, once again. God reveals himself to this saint. And Abraham believes God. So it comes to us not only as a renewed promise, not only as a reminder, but it certainly is reassuring. The promises of God. Did Abraham's descendants possess that land? Yes. 
Does Abraham have descendants like the sand of the seashore and like the stars of the heavens? Yes, he does. Millions and millions and millions of faithful believers. That crowd that we read of in glory that no man can count. All the spiritual descendants of Abraham. All his children. Promises of God. The Lord did. Go with me to chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Notice all the factors that take us back to this conversation at the Oaks of Mamre. Not only did God say it, not only did God do it, not only did God promise it, it was at the time that the Lord had spoken. And she had a son. This woman was in her 90s. Gives birth to a child, a son. God did it. Turn with me to chapter 22. Then we have this amazing chapter of chapter 22. The son has just been born, the son they've waited for all these years. He's finally starting to grow up, and God says, Now, take him to the mountain and sacrifice him. What does Abraham do? In faith, he believes. By faith, Abraham takes Isaac, reckoning, as Hebrews tells us, that God could raise the dead. When Isaac questions, Father, where's the lamb? Abraham's response is, the Lord himself will provide. After the event is over, they name the place. The Lord will provide. You know and understand that the very spot upon which that event happened is the place where Jesus Christ is crucified. God did as he had promised. God fulfilled his promise. He did provide the sacrifice. And God will fulfill every promise that he makes. Turn with me in closing to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1.
verse 18. Paul is defending his ministry here, but there's a much greater message than Paul simply defending his ministry. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Now, if you're in the habit of underlining, underline this verse. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All those blessings, all those blessings, In a moment, we're going to sing about the 10,000 blessings that are ours in Christ. Why are they ours in Christ? Because God is faithful to his promises. We see it in Abraham. This visit to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. When God comes to him personally, The promises that he makes are fulfilled. God does what he has promised. God always does what he promises. Always. If you're in Christ, the moment you die, God promises you're with him. God promises to you that whatever trials, whatever tribulations come your way, He is using those to conform you to the glorious image of His Son. That is His promise. Whatever illness, whatever sickness comes your way, God is using for His glory and for His honor and for His purpose. Conform you to the glorious image of Christ. All of God's promises find their fulfillment in Christ. Do you think that's what, what's been going on in Hebrews? Wouldn't that be a fitting verse to stick into Hebrews as well? God is faithful to all the promises he has made promise to sanctify you, a promise to perfect you in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. A promise to never leave you. A promise to never forsake you. A promise that says, and lo, I am with you always. And God's people say, Amen. Father, as we take up this first portion of this passage. We step back and we just, as Paul said, give you glory and give you the praise for your faithfulness, for your work. Underneath those trees there in Mamre, that belong to Mamre near Hebron, 
What a scene, what a place, what a location. But greater by far, greater by far will be that which takes place in your presence and glory. And until that day, may our lips continue to testify of your faithfulness to us. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.